They don't come here to attack us because we're rich and we're free. They come and they, and they attack us because we're over there. We don't need to go populist left or populist right. We don't need to embrace neo-Marxism or neo-fascism, these disastrous movements from the 20th century. Turns out the answer is pretty much our Bill of Rights, our story. Embrace freedom. That's the answer. And if the LP has a purpose, it's not to put people to sleep. It's to wake them up. We're here because we love liberty. And we're here because we hate injustice. We are here to save mankind. We are here to fight. Join us, the Libertarian Party, in perhaps the most exciting, grandest endeavor in history, the restoration of American liberty. Ideas spread, they can't stop them. An idea whose time has come cannot be stopped by any army or any government. Hello and welcome to episode 76 of Decentralized Revolution. I'm Aaron and I'm your host. This is, of course, the Mises Caucus podcast and uh, we've got kind of a little change in format that we might be doing, uh, hopefully we'll be doing uh, quite often here in the future, and that's to do some live episodes streaming to the Mises Caucus uh, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube pages. I kind of did this one on the spur of the moment with James Gentleman. Uh We've been trying to get together for a while uh, to record an episode, and uh, we, we found some time uh, on Saturday and did this. So uh, we just kind of dove right into it. And uh, uh, instead of kind of the standard intro I usually give, uh, there's lots going on. Uh, as most of you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, Reno is coming up Memorial Day weekend, the Libertarian National Convention out there in Nevada. Uh, uh, Angela McArdle is uh, our candidate for chair, and uh, we hope to put her uh, in that spot uh, to uh, run the LP, the LNC rather going forward. And uh, we're excited about that. We're excited about the other uh, Mises Caucus members who are, are running for all these other offices. So um, if, if you haven't uh, made plans to go out there yet, uh, you might want to do that. There, all the delegate slots, I think, have been allotted. So uh, that ship has sailed maybe on you being a voting member out there, but you can go, uh, be, just be part of things to see people to come to our events as well as the good events that the LP is putting on. So go to lp.org to get your convention packages, uh, uh, for that. Uh, hopefully we'll be having a victory party, uh, on uh, Friday night, hopefully Sunday night as well. Uh, I really want to see you guys out there. And, uh, also you can just help out like, uh, people are going to be, uh, kind of tied to the convention floor for most of the day on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So, you know, you could go get pizza for people or take up a collection and go get food or, you know, just just whatever. Uh, we'd love to have you. Uh, it's going to be a great time. Uh, to. Uh, one of my favorite things is just getting to meet people in real life that I've interacted with uh, online here through the podcast or, you know, in uh, all the other ways in which we uh, Meekhawks have been working together the last few years. So uh, come out uh, for Reno. Uh, tell your friends about this podcast. Uh, if you're not on our mailing list yet, go over to takehumanaction.com and uh, sign up for that. Uh, also, uh, if you're not a contributing 
uh, monthly member of, of the Mises Caucus as far as donating to Mises PAC. Uh, you can do that over at TakeHumanAction.com. We're in really good shape going into the convention, and it's thanks to to everyone out there. The money bomb uh, a week and a half ago uh, went really great. We raised about $40,000 for delegate mobilization, so things are looking good, but we've got stuff to do after Reno as well, getting back to uh, focusing on uh, creating some of those local coalitions uh, to promote uh, rolling back the state on a local level, promote nullification, and support candidates uh, who support those type of things at the local level. We've already done um, many thousands of dollars, I think maybe approaching $100,000 over the past couple of years. Um, I could be wrong on that, but uh, it, we've given a lot. We're planning to give more, and we can do that uh, through your support. You can do that at TakeHumanAction.com. Right now, uh, just enjoy my talk with James Gentleman. Hey, this is uh, episode 76 of Decentralized Revolution, a uh, podcast from the Mises Caucus, Libertarian Party Mises Caucus. I'm Aaron. I'm your host. This is the first time we've done a live stream version. Uh, we've got a couple of big ones planned to do uh, this podcast live with some, uh, some guests who have uh, a bigger reach, but who are not more interesting than my guest today. I really like uh, James Gentleman. <laughs> uh, I, 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 yeah, I realized what I was doing there uh, halfway through. Uh, but James uh, agreed to uh, his words be my guinea pig for this. Um, I, I first met James online in the Tom Woods supporters group a few years ago. And when you're in a group online, there's always like, you know, probably a small percentage of people who do most of the posts. And some of those people are kind of like, weird or jerks or whatever but then there are people who are like every time they say something is like helpful and nice and great and james was like one of those i was like oh man I, every time he says something like it contributes to it and he just seems like a great guy and i've met him a couple times in real life now and he is so uh thanks for coming on james yeah you're very welcome thanks for having me uh we were we've been going back and forth for weeks trying to hammer down a time to do this i'm glad we finally worked something out yeah. Um, and tell people just a little bit, you host a, a podcast called Blackbird, yeah. which is uh, 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 named after a Beatles song. Uh, one of my favorite Beatles songs. I once played it at somebody's wedding really, uh, on electric guitar, believe it or not. Uh, I kind of arranged it for, uh, I played it on that strat back there. Um, anyway, so tell us about your podcast and tell us uh, a little bit about you and your connection to the to Mises Caucus and the Liberty sure. Movement. Yeah, so uh, Blackbird is like you said. It's about it's named after the Beatles song. Um, I didn't look up like the meaning of the Beatles song prior to naming the podcast. Apparently, um, when Paul McCartney wrote it, he was referring to black women, um, kind of rising <laughs> up in the civil rights movement. Uh, I am not a black woman, so I like I I and I, and I say that sincerely. Like I, I don't I don't want to I don't want to like appropriate. Um, the the name of a song that was written for one purpose for my purpose uh i almost i almost went into cultural appropriation which i don't really think is a thing but uh, you know i want to be sensitive to that so um so so there so there's that the real reason that i named it blackbird was because of the words to the song like uh we, we in 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 this age that we're living in where you don't really know what's real what's true what's uh what's 
accurate reporting, that kind of thing, we kind of have to learn to see for ourselves. So like take these, take these sunken eyes and learn to see um, is one of the, one of the things that the Blackbird is called to do. Um, and then we also are in an era where you can be fired for anything from your job. Um, you never know what associations you're going to have next week, tomorrow, uh, in a year. Um, so we have to learn to fly on our own. Um, that does not mean disassociate ourselves from the communities that we're, you know, th that we're part of. Um, I have made that mistake, I guess, over the last few years of um, just sort of flitting between different friend groups and circles and tribes and things like that. Uh, so I'm trying to solidify also my associations in addition to solidifying my um my sort of projects and things like that, that I work on. And I, I, my, my partner always makes fun of me because I flit so much. Um, like I'll have a new idea. I'm kind of a serial entrepreneur, I guess is a good word for it because okay. I never actually start a business, but I do have like lots and lots of ideas. Um, yep. So uh, actually we can, we can probably get into that a little bit too later on if you'd like. Sure. Um, as for my, as for my like um, affiliation with the Mises caucus, I actually joined the Facebook group on day two, uh, which is pretty cool. I, I, I pride myself on that. I, for the longest time, I called myself more of a fellow traveler than a member of the caucus, although in the last year or so, um, and really half year or so, I've become much more active and, you know, I'm an organizer now and that kind of thing. So uh, I guess, I guess y'all have sucked me in. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you're up in Minnesota, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I definitely want to get into some of the themes that you've been talking about on your, your uh, podcast. Um, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, but like I, as a writer and, you know, kind of a, things in that space, like I have ADHD, uh, a really interesting case as my psychiatrist said, and I'm the same way. Like I occasionally finish something and follow through on something, yeah. but I start a lot of things and, and that's a, both a blessing and a curse. So, um, do, do you do that in other areas of your life too? Or is that just on like the, Hey, I have an idea for a business or a project. Yeah, totally. And it sucks because I work for, a, I, I work as, um, I call myself like super tech support. I do a lot of customizations and, um, like higher level troubleshooting and things like that. Uh, I think my title is actual, actually technical consultant, but it's more of just like a solutions engineer type role uh, mm -hmm. for a software company. And that means that I have a lot of plates spinning at any given time. And uh, for someone who flits from plate to plate, like I can keep the plate spinning, but uh, reaching the conclusion, like where I take the plate off of its little peg and put it down on the stack of plates because it's done. Uh, that's a struggle for me. It really is. Um, I probably should be on some sort of med for it, but uh, you know, whatever. I don't like meds. So yeah, I, I do. I do. I like medication and uh, Adderall is a great drug if you use it properly. Um, uh, I, I I'm on it right now. Um, yeah. Nice. But uh, so I, I wanted to talk about something and talk about, um, this is only kind of loosely connected with the, the theme of like starting things. And uh, I've been noticing some comments. I kind of lurk on some anti Mises caucus pages of, of people mm -hmm. and groups. And one of the things that I've been seeing, and it just kind of hit me a certain way lately was that people criticize us for like, you know, the caricature is like uh, Mike Heiss tells us all what to do. And we, you know, go in lockstep. <laughs> Well, first of all, they don't hear the conversations that I have with Mike on the phone and our other board members and organizers have with Mike on the phone and our board meetings where, you know, we do disagree on things. And mm. sometimes we get a, we do get a little upset with each other, but we do kind of present we work them out. 
we presenting United Front, and then we are organized. And it occurred to me that as someone who's been involved at the LP for uh, 10, 12 years now, that the fact that there is a group that like is organized and accomplishing things and has a vision that that is strange within, within the libertarian party and people are freaked out. I think they don't know what else to attribute it to um, because they, they think of, I think a certain type of libertarian and I, I like those people, but I think they think that, Oh, it's just about doing your own thing all the time, but it doesn't allow for, Hey, we can all actually get together, run things in an efficient way. Um, and, 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 and try to achieve a goal. And do you see that at all? Like as far as your perception of how the LP has been and what we're trying to turn it into? Um, well, I, I'd like to, I'd like to focus kind of on the marching lockstep thing. Um, so, you know, I've had my criticisms with, for, for years about how the, the kind of top of the, of the LP Mises caucus um, hierarchy works, you know, I mean, I, I feel like as a monthly donor, I should have a say in who the board is, but that's, that's my position. And, um, I, that position is welcome and I'm sure it's duly noted. Uh, and I'm sure once it comes time to start picking board members, like, you know, maybe, maybe it'll be taken into consideration. Um, but, uh, the, the, the idea that we are like, just some monolith or I don't know, like a hive mind is absurd. Um, we argue internally almost as much as the LP itself argues internally. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't answer the phone when people call very often, but I do answer when Mike calls because <laughs> he's always, he, yeah, he's always got something insightful to say. Uh, it doesn't mean that I'm going to like, you know, obey every, every command or take every recommendation. Um, and the other thing is he doesn't call very often. So like, <laughs> you know, uh, I think the last time he called was, um, no, I don't, I guess I don't really want to get too much into the internal stuff, you but, uh, yeah. but you know, I mean, he, he called me to, to ask me to call off the dogs on something. And I was like, okay, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll consider it. I, I don't, I don't take orders though. Uh, right. we, as the kind of organizers in Minnesota, um, discussed, whether we should call off the dogs on this particular thing. And we decided that it was probably for the best to do that. So the dogs have been called off. Um, mm -hmm. And the other thing is though, our Minnesota guys aren't like, and, and gals uh, are not uh, a hive mind underneath us. It's not, it's not like a, it's not like an organization where we have bosses and, and that sort of thing. We have, we have leaders and we have good leaders and good leaders are able to inspire their followers. They're not, they're not, they're not barking out orders. They're actually, you know, creating a, a movement. Um, and I think that, I think that people who, well, okay. So there's this, there's this, what I think is a, a completely wrong view of libertarianism that says that libertarians are these like atomized individualists who can't possibly be part of a group. And, you know, obviously that's absurd. We're part of a political party for crying out loud. Um, and, so, you know, I mean, the, the idea that people are going to band together um, who are like-minded and vote the same way or um, try to vote the same way, you know, if we can inspire enough people to vote that way, then, then 
then we're going to do that. And it's it's no different from being a member of a political party. I mean, Nick Sarwark was on the Soho Forum debate stage saying that people should vote for Dick Cheney if he has an L next to his name. Right. Uh, that's that is absolutely no different from saying we should vote for Angela McArdle because she has a Mises caucus endorsement. Right. Yeah. And I think I, I think that actually your idea about, you know, possibly contributors having a vote on the board. Uh, I think certain things like that, like as we get bigger and as we kind of move beyond the larval stage that we're mm -hmm. in now, that some of those things might and probably will come up. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I think that one thing that, and I know you're not like attacking uh, things, but the one thing that has uh, helped us actually accomplish things is, you know, I was in leadership in the Libertarian Party of Ohio for uh, from about 2010 to about 2016. I was either the Central Committee Chairman and I was on the Executive Committee. And the one thing I found was that overwhelmingly everybody involved there was there to do a job and to try to accomplish things. But there was always like one or two people who just like enjoyed creating drama uh, manipulating situations to yeah. their effect and because of bylaws and, you know, we have to, and I'm not saying that it should be different, but as a political party, you have to have, you know, a lot of transparency. Oh, Aaron has accidentally muted. Oh, it looks like his mic came unplugged. So we'll just, we'll just sit here and, and talk. Uh, he's still talking, but not unmuted. Um, so I oh, got good. It. You're I back. Got You're back. Good. I was I was scared I didn't have to ad lib, and I'm terrible at that. So um, I once saw there's a bluegrass guy named Del McCurry, who's the greatest bluegrass guy alive today. Uh, he broke. He I've seen him do it twice. He breaks a string in the middle of the song, continues to sing, changes the string, and by the end of the string has it you know back in tune and is playing. So I'm not quite as good with the with the mic thing there. But uh, uh, what what I was talking about was is that there's always one or two people that seem like that are, you know, that this is like a hobby for them and they get off on drama and they can really hold everything up. And again, with a political party, you have to have transparency and participation. But I think the advantage of a caucus uh, and a PAC um, is that you can kind of weed out some of those people and keep them from you know, throwing a spanner into the works. Mm -hmm. So I think that's helped us, but I, I, I think you're right. I think that we, there are probably things that we need to do a little differently, but I think that's one of the main things that, that has helped us, you know, uh, actually accomplish some things. And ultimately if we don't do what our donors and our members want, they'll walk away the, mm -hmm. you know, and, and the fact that, um, and that's not to say that, you know, numbers or contributions is a, is a ironclad indicator of, Hey, we we're doing the right thing, but it's kind of an indicator. Um, and, and so I, I look forward to the time, hopefully after Reno where, you know, we've the last year or so we've spent 90% or more of our time on, you know, reforming the LP, getting a good LNC in there, electing Angela, things like that. Yeah. Um, but what the other two prongs of our strategy is to, you know, and we have continued to support and fund local candidates, but we also want to get back to, you know, those local initiatives, ballot initiatives, lobbying to encourage local officials to do nullification mm -hmm. uh, 
and things like that. So that's what we really want to do, but we have to have a, an LP that is supportive of that and functional uh, in order for us to do that. So. Um, I guess I have a question about that. The, yeah. So last weekend, the caucus raised $40,000, which is just insane to me. Yep. Um, is that, is that, is that going to translate to donations to the LP once, uh, once Angela and team are kind of steering the ship there? Yeah. Um, uh, that is the hope. Um, and we, we've been talking about, and I hope I'm not talking about something we meant to hold back, but the details I'll hold <laughs> back, but that's one thing we are talking about is if everything goes according to plan in Reno, there are a lot of people, myself included, who have only given the bare minimum to the LP. Um, mm. You know, for a couple of years, I didn't give anything because of Sarwark. And then because I said, well, he's in, I'm not going to give. And then now I, I just only do the minimum, like 25 or 30 bucks or whatever it is. But there are a lot of people who don't give at all. And a lot of people who give minimum. And we are going to encourage our the Mises Caucus members and libertarians as a whole to become active members of the LP active with their attendance and participation mm -hmm. as well as their money. And uh, uh, apparently, uh, again, I think this is true. Um, our, our source is someone uh, who should know um, and in effect does know, but I think that the national LP for a long time has, they have not, I don't think they even have in place a model where you can be a recurring monthly donor for five bucks a month, which for a lot of people, you know, $60 a year, that's not a lot, but it's something. And if you have a yeah. bunch of people doing that, like we do, uh, it's better than nothing, but the, the LP does. And if I'm wrong, you know, I'm sorry, but I don't think they have that plan in place. And the word that we have is that they don't want to do that. They want to uh, focus more on, big donors and mm. they do have a, a, a smaller circle of big donors and those people have an inordinate amount of power over what the party does. I mean, we've heard yeah. stories of people saying, Oh, can you back off on the gun stuff? Because that's not really my issue. Or can you well, not say a word about COVID? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so I don't know exactly how that's played out, but I do know that the LP national uh, and uh, again, if facts, if you can prove me wrong, that's that's fine. But it's my understanding and my impression that a smaller number of people have an outsized influence because they give big checks and that those people are not always and not everybody has to be an ANCAP, um, you know, but there are a lot of people who on a couple of key issues are kind of hey let's not be too libertarian on that mm. and that and that's that's a problem so to answer your questions we are going to encourage and to do everything we can to get um our people to support the lp uh uh yes uh because and, and you know i've again i've seen some people are saying that donations to the national lp are down and it's because of us and all that well I, you're gonna see that turn around um and so I think we are going to lose yeah. people who the haters and maybe even some of those big donors. But uh, I think by the time the next convention rolls around, I'd, I'd be shocked if the LP weren't on, on better financial footing and, and well, we're going to do everything we can to make that happen. 
I can, I I'm surprised that they don't have, that they don't have a mechanism for small monthly donors. Like I've been in spots in my life where I didn't have $60 in my bank account. I, I might right. actually, my membership to the party lapsed in, uh, I don't remember what year it was a few years ago because I didn't have, I just didn't have the money to even for like, a, even like the student membership, whatever that is. Um, but I don't think I've ever not been able to afford $5 a month, you know, like $60 a year and $5 a month are monetarily and numerically the same thing, but they're not the same thing when you actually look at an individual's bank account. Um, this year, thank, you know, I mean, thank God I I'm, I'm for the very first time in my life able to afford kind of a considerable monthly donation, um, considerable for me. I don't, I don't, I mean, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not rich, but, uh, like I'm going to, I'm going to become a lifetime membership member at, convention um i'm really looking forward to it I, I i think the the pin ceremony is really cool it's one of my favorite parts of convention so yeah. um so you know i mean it's 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 going to be neat and, and i know a lot of people who you know I, I mean assuming that angela gets gets elected and all that stuff and it's not uh yeah. same old same old then i'm really looking forward to seeing all the new life members myself included up on that stage so yeah that'll be, cool. that, that'll be great and uh, uh someone else just uh, uh mentioned in a comment and i looked it up myself so I apologize. There is a way you can do a monthly donation. I think that, again, I have this second hand from somebody who's in that inner circle in the LP national who I, I think that what they meant was they, they haven't like tried to promote that and, and done mm. fun drives to encourage that. Um, and maybe, and again, if they have, if they've started to do that, but I know that in my time, uh, I've never done that. And I probably would have done that in the past because I did that to the Ohio LP and I do that with the Mises caucus. So, um, so I think that turning, uh, that's just, a, that's another thing that I think Angela is going to do different. And if you look at like the, again, the Ron Paul campaigns and like the Bernie Sanders campaigns, like they weren't on the, you know, beholden to, you know, just a couple of donors like Trump and Sheldon Adelson and, yeah. and, 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 and guys like that, it was a bunch of people giving 20 bucks, 200 bucks, 50 bucks. And, and um, so I, I would love to see the LP um, be that. Did, did Ron Paul invent the money bomb or was that just the first time I ever heard of it? I think that someone in his campaign or adjacent to the campaign did that. I just read a book by, uh, the guy at Reason, Brian Doherty, D-O-H-E-R-T-Y. Uh, I think it's just called Ron Paul's Revolution. Mm -hmm. And he talks about it in there. There's a that a guy basically came up with that. And I don't know if it was the first time, I think, but it was the first like successful one that ra it raised like a couple million dollars or something in a day. So um, so it's no surprise that that, uh, you know, kind of kind of works for us. And I, I was surprised, too, like we were. Uh, talking amongst ourselves is like, yeah, should we ask maybe try to for 10 or 20 maybe? <laughs> um, and so I, I think that just shows that that people are ready uh, for Reno. And I, I've, just, I've been blown away too. Like we have a, you know, uh, of how many of our delegates um, uh, and I, I can't, and I wouldn't if I knew for certain, but uh, so many of our delegates who are booked, they do have their, uh, flight tickets and, and hotel. And, mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of those people do need a little bit of help when we're subsidizing people, but I've had people, you know, I'm the guy who sends out the, the, the email newslettery type things. And I've had people, uh, respond to those emails and say, Hey, I need help. And then a couple days or weeks later, they're like, Oh, I crossed me off the, the, 
the uh, the help list because I found a way to make it work. You know, so nice. people are are really trying to do this, and uh, uh, I, I'm I'm blown away by that. Especially you know Reno, that's kind of a bad. It's Memorial Day weekend, and it's you know you can't get direct flights there to many places. Like I'm driving to Nashville to fly to Denver. You know, I'm driving three hours to Nashville to fly to Denver to fly to Reno because I can't get a direct flight from Knoxville to even Vegas. So <laughs> try um, being a try being a Southwest loyalist in a non-hub city. I've never taken a direct flight. I don't think it may be to Dallas. Well, that's what. That. That's why I'm doing Southwest because yeah. I am. Oh, maybe we'll uh, meet at the Denver airport then. Hopefully. Uh, like my flight also has a layover in Denver. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm just blown away by people who are, uh, who are doing this. Um, so tell me how, so I know that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were kind of interested in or kind of looking into the sort of post-libertarianism thing uh, uh, or at least talking about it yeah. some, and then kind of to come back and be an organizer with the, the Mises caucus, what kind of inspired you to do that? And, and how are things up in Minnesota? Sure. I, oh, how are things up in Minnesota? We should do another hour on that. Um, I, okay. So post-libertarianism isn't really an ism. Um, mm-hmm. it's like post-modernism. Um, we, we have entered, we're just entering a new era and uh, it's sort of a post ideological era. Nobody cares about ideology anymore. And I think that the LP and the Mises caucus and libertarians in general need to need to come to grips with that because we're way too cerebral and we have exited the, we've exited the era completely as a culture, not just as libertarians, but we've exited this um, materialist modernist age Mm-hmm. And um, we are now in an age that's going to be driven by, um, I, I don't want to say like emotions, but we've entered an age that's that's driven by connections, um, by by people just doing what feels right to them, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. rather than people based, basing their actions on their principles or their ideology or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean abandon your principles, but it means um, form your connections based on that and then form your actions based on those connections. Um, and the so and and I, I encourage everybody to go read um, LB Muniz's article on this fr- through that lens. So rather than thinking of it as a movement that's um, in opposition to libertarianism, think of it as just a shift in culture, just like the Enlightenment was a shift from um, spiritualism to materialism. We're now entering another shift from materialism back into something that's like spiritualism where mm-hmm. we've gone through the modern age. And so we're less religious than we were prior to that, but it's no less um, esoteric and spiritual. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I'm actually reading John McWhorter's uh, woke racism book right mm-hmm. now. And like his central thesis so far, it, and I think he's going to stick with this is that the, the woke stuff, especially around the CRT stuff is kind of a, a, a religion yeah. uh, for you know, people who wouldn't consider themselves religious. And I think that, I think it all kind of ties in with, I think that the, the left and specifically kind of the, the hard left Marxist type people, like, I think their attack on identity and, you know, community and in the sense of people belonging to a religion or an ethnic group or a family or something like that. I think they've wanted to attack that and kind of unmoor people from those traditional sort of things and have 
uh, I think James Lindsay said it uh, on Rogan, just kind of a, a an identity without an essence. And I think people like that are sort of very easy to to herd into things and people are going to want to hold on to something. And that's what I think a lot of the, the woke stuff is, is people who have, you know, and, and again, not every family and not every religion and not every ethnic group, like, you know, those things can be very confining too. But if you've rejected every sort of, uh, you know, traditional way of belonging to something and establishing your identity, you're going to want to find something else. And if the, if you've already kind of rejected uh, so many things, your, your options are limited. And Mm -hmm. that's where I think you're right. And that people don't, they go to something that confirms, you know, their emotions or something like that. And uh, you're right. They don't care about ideology uh, and, and, and things like that. And I think that's one reason why I think the decentralized approach is going to has a has a chance of 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 working it's not a revolution in the sense of oh we're gonna you know get 40 percent of the people to agree with ron paul and and have a president and then you know uh repeal all these laws i think we have to kind of use that kind of like judo or whatever use that momentum toward fracturing and try to break up power in that way and so the local coalitions to you know, to, to legalize shrooms in Colorado and hopefully to do something like, you know, legalize machine guns in Tennessee or whatever will, will kind of result in, in more liberty. And I don't, I don't think the cultural problems are, are necessarily fixed by that, but the harm done by political power, I think, can be yeah. can be minimized. Well, and it's always it's always been weird to me that there was and this is this is lessened um, in the last few months. I think that the the. Uh, the tension has has kind of loosened a little bit um between the gop mises caucus led by andrew i, I guess he's docs his last name now but andrew pierce from popular liberty uh and the mises the lp mises caucus mm-hmm. um yeah i mean the the strategies are essentially identical uh taking over local governments um and you know i mean i i i don't want the lp to start endorsing republicans by any means like that's 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 a ridiculous that's a ridiculous thing. Um, but on the other hand, if there is, you know, a Republican endorsed candidate running for the mayor of your little town mm-hmm. and he's solid on or she is solid on um, libertarian ethics and values, then I think it's foolish to run someone against him mm-hmm. or her. Yeah, I, uh, I, 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 I don't uh, I agree about 80 percent on that, but yeah. uh, I, I think that it is important sometimes to to get, you know, to wave the flag, uh, for what we're trying to do no matter what. But, uh, I I can see the argument the other way. It's just, I hate the Republican party so much after what they did to us in Ohio with ballot access and lawsuits. And, uh, I was once bribed, tried, tried to be bribed by the, he's now the secretary of state of, uh, Ohio. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I hate them. And so I don't hate their people, but I want them to lose. And even though I have a, I have a great uh, example of it here in Knox County, Glenn Jacobs, who is a Misesian and he's not, he's 85% good. He's, I think kind of not so good on a couple of things uh, in like a Republican way. Um, I don't think I'm going to vote for him just because of the R next to his name, but 
I, I'm glad he's I'm glad he's the mayor and not some rhino or some, you know, Democrat or whatever. Yeah. So um, so, you know, ultimately, like if the two parties were a, you know, a, a liberty leaning Republican Party and a, and a good libertarian party, that would be great. I don't think that's going to happen. But I, I see it kind of I don't know if the American system could ever really take a multiple party thing. Yeah, no, but, not with first past the post voting. Yeah. But but, you know, I mean, that doesn't mean that we can't make a dent. Yeah. And change the Overton window, right? If we have Republicans mm -hmm. talking about eliminating, like, I think Ohio of all places, uh, we moved to get away partly from the income tax. And now there's a bill that they're trying to get rid of it up there. So mm -hmm. the fact that people are moving to Tennessee and Florida and, uh, and Texas is so the decentralization is, I think, forcing some states to re to reconsider now other states are going to double down i think california and things like that but i think that um again i think the decentralization thing is kind of uh our our only uh hope um yeah. uh, for anything so um it'll be interesting to see what kind of reception that gets in the republican party it's like i think they'll just find ways to I, if you look at American history, both Republicans and Democrats, like the, the Democrats who were kind of, you know, basically somewhat Jeffersonian up until the 1880s or so, when the progressive stuff kind of started happening, they kind of uh, abs ab absorbed all that and kind of morphed it. And, and the, you know, the Republicans have done that with the, the Liberty movement. So I think the two big parties are always going to be there. And they're always going to and like the Ross Perot movement and stuff like that. They always get somehow hybridized into the two main parties who don't care about ideology. They just care about power. So um, so I, I think that if this is tried within the Republican Party, I, I just see that same thing is happening. I don't, I don't really see any other way around it. Yeah, I think well, and I think the uh, the the Occupy movement and then sort of the Bernie Sanders movement that came after, which Bernie Sanders was kind of a tamed down version of the Occupy movement, yeah. um, and then also parallel uh, the Ron Paul movement and then Trump being sort of a tamed down version of that. Believe it or not, I mean, you know, the Trump movement is not tame by any means, but their ideological stances are, yeah. Um, if that makes sense, yeah. um, and th those those sort of parallel things not only did they you know usher, they kind of ushered in and are indicative of this 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 sort of paradigm shift that i'm uh constantly talking about uh but they also just blew open the overton window i know it feels like the overton window is super narrow because we live on twitter but in the real world um these discussions are being had the idea and and you know obviously the establishment which it goes from cnn to twitter uh to your local school to everything else would love for that overton window um the welfare warfare state is the norm and we're not going to change that uh they would love to stay they would love for it to stay exactly as narrow as it always has been mm -hmm. um but that is not going they're, they're gonna lose like they can't yeah. they they can't maintain their power it's a stranglehold and 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 um, when populists start feeling too strangled, yeah, they 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 tend to defend themselves. Um, I yeah. hope that they don't defend themselves violently in this case because you know I'm alive now and and I would like to continue that you know, continue that trajectory. Yeah, uh, but uh, you know, I mean, it's we're we're at it we're at the moment of a paradigm shift and it's it's inevitable.
Yeah. I, I think that I, you know, the, the whole, um, you know, post 2008 crash thing that kind of created the tea party and the occupy thing. I think Dave Smith has talked about this and yeah, other people that, party. that the whole, um, that, that, it, because the tea party and occupy stuff started happening like if you track like certain key phrases and them being used in the media like you know white supremacy and mm-hmm. and uh, critical race theory and and other you know problematic things like that that started happening you know in obama's first term and especially in the second term and has i think prevented like a convergence of that um of the elements of the right and elements of the left kind of starting to get it um you know they're when you have a bunch of people camping out outside the federal reserve buildings mm-hmm. then it's like oh it's time to change the subject and, and they definitely have yeah um and i think that the stuff that's been in academia um has been you know weaponized by the you know the financial elites to uh to do what we see now but i, I again i think that you know it is kind of exciting with um you know, uh, CNN, you know, the CNN plus thing. Oh, that's one of my favorite yeah. things. Ever. Glorious. Absolutely like, glorious. Well, like three to 500 billion and they got 10,000, 6,000 subscribers at 10 bucks a month or the other way around or something. Yeah. And like, so that they're gonna, but that's the thing that kind of makes me also worried a little bit, um, is they know that something is gonna change. Uh, and I'm, and they, they like their power. And so I think we are really enter- entering a very critical moment where things could get really ugly. And I hope it doesn't, I hope we get that national divorce type thing. I, my mm-hmm. wife and I were, we drove up uh, from Knoxville up to uh, Ohio over Easter. And I think it was on the way up. Uh, maybe no, it was on the way back. So we stopped at a little Mediterranean restaurant in Richmond, Kentucky, small town in Kentucky, the i think she must have been the co-owner or the owner um probably my age mid 40s to 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 late 40s uh college educated she was from indonesia and we were kind of talking and then somehow and when i'm talking to normal people i never bring up politics a because my wife hates it and b because <laughs> i just i just hate doing that to people me too but she started talking about things and she basically came out she's like uh, and she was like, yeah, I just don't think, uh, that, uh, the country can stay together. Like California is like different than Kentucky. And mm-hmm. like, so she basically, and I did, I just like, yeah, that's interesting. You know, <laughs> um, someone who's an immigrant and not very political is kind of looking at this and seeing, oh yeah, this is not gonna, this is not gonna work. So, uh, I, I was really encouraged by that. Yeah, I think so too. It's because like, like, you know, I mean, it's just, again, the shifting of the Overton window um, or the, like, maybe not the shifting, but the widening. Um, I do think though there, I guess there's a meme uh, that's been circulating and a lot of libertarians have been very uh, resistant to this idea that um, sort of the center is shifting to the left, which looks right on the screen, but it's mm-hmm. actually left for me um, that the center has been shifting left and um that the left is and the the left like broadly speaking and in particular the like cathedral left um aided in aiding and abetting the movement left the populist left uh have shifted the the center so far left and the right um just on issues ideologically um has not 
I mean, it's gone a little bit to the right, but it's nowhere near as quick or as drastic as what the the center and the left have done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen a lot of libertarians, um, more like, you know, normie libertarians. Um, I don't like saying centrist libertarians because I think that's a stupid thing. Yep. But uh, which that's been that's been a big thing that's been a, going all over Facebook and, and Twitter, too. Um, they've been. They've been saying, no, look how far the right has gone. You you can't just say that the left has shifted so far left, but they haven't. Mm-hmm. Like it's uh I don't know, I don't know why I'm I don't oh, because we were talking about the Overton window. That's yeah. that's just it's not it's not it's not accurate. Like they've the right has become a little bit more bombastic, um, mm-hmm. but it's not like they believe too much different. They've kind of they've kind of ported the the old protectionist labor left protectionism onto the right mm-hmm. now. But that's not a movement to the right. I mean, if anything, that's a movement to the left in American yep. parlance specifically. Yep. And I think that the that the right, you know, Michael Malice's thing about you know conservative as a progressive driving the speed limit is is very apt. That mm. the right today, I think they basically, and I'm not criticizing this because I I feel some nostalgia for you know, the America that I grew up in, in the late seventies and eighties, like, I think the right basically just wants to go back to 1964, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, that they just want it normal. They want, they, they, they're okay with the welfare state. Uh, they're okay with the empire, but they just want things sort of more stable mm-hmm. and, and all that at home. And they haven't been able to, uh, you know, and Jeff Dice says, you know, when the left wants something, they're serious and they get it. Yeah. And conservatives are always on the back foot, uh, at least since World War Two, if not the progressive era. And that's just not a way to that. That's not going to uh, succeed. And I think that as that demographic, you know, the Republican Party demographic is getting older. Uh, I think they sense that they are kind of uh, losing in one way. And so I think they do get more bombastic and more whatever. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's inter- it's really interesting to see where that's going to go. Um, that, uh, that, that brings up a really good point. Uh, Aaron McIntyre, who's a, he's, he's a right-wing commentator. Um, and he and Pete Quinones, who I guess Pete is now more of a right-wing commentator than anything. Uh, they, they, they talk a lot. And one thing that Aaron said on Pete's, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his first name, right. But one thing that he said on Pete's show was, uh, the, God, what is it? People, people who want power will always beat people who just want to be left alone um that doesn't mean that doesn't mean people who want power will always beat people who want to be left alone but it it does mean that they will beat people who just want to be left alone and i think that um the populist right and i do um i do consider libertarianism a right-wing ideology um because uh and this is something that i've only very recently come come around to um so you know i mean it's a it's kind of a, a a kind of nascent thought in my head. Um, and I might, I might change my mind in a year. So take mm. that for what it's worth. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but the, the, the populist right, including um, Mises libertarians uh, and including, you know, Trumpies too um, uh, of, of, there's not a lot of overlap between those groups, but it sounds like there is when you're looking at it from the outside. And I think that's why a lot of the Mises caucuses detractors um think that we're like trying to recruit Republicans and things like that, right. even though they're the very people who recruited Gary Johnson, Bob Barr, uh, right. and like, Bill Weld. Bill Weld. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
so anyway, um, we are coming around to the realization that we can't just want to be left alone. We have to take power. We have to take the wind out of these people's sails. Otherwise they're just going to keep sailing. And um, that seems scary to, that seems scary to people who have seen the libertarian party and the libertarian movement as a debating club. Mm -hmm. Yep. No, I think you're right. I think that I, I, I'm not, this isn't unique to me, but I really like it. The, that a lot of libertarians and a lot of people in the other parties too, and in different like left-wing movements, they are kind of just LARPing at politics. They, they're not accomplished enough or they're, they're just different enough and, and appreciate freedom just enough to not fit in Democrats or Republicans, but they like putting on suits and going to meetings and discussing bylaws and, um, which I love, I love that too. I love that too. Like you'll never see me run for office. I'm, I'm obsessed with the, with the behind the scenes bylaws shit. Ugh. Um, which is, which is why I'm probably a waste of space, but, oh, no. <laughs> but no. at least, but at least I have things to say. Uh, no, yeah. Hopefully they're interesting and smart too. No, they definitely are. And it's good that, but you don't want to do it just to do it. I mean, like yeah. again, and I, I somewhat disagree. Like, is libertarianism left or right? Like I like to think of it as being non-ideological in the sense of we don't mm. have okay. a, a specific vision for society that, you know, the left wants, uh, they want society to look a certain way. Just look at uh, every commercial on television for a major mm. brand and look at, you know, Netflix productions and they have a vision uh, and they will say explicitly what they want society to look like. Conservatives want it to look like 1958 but libertarians are like, yeah, I don't know what it's going to look like. I just want people to be left alone. And so in that sense, it is sort of inherently conservative because if, if there's no government power, there's no coercive power trying to remake society, then things like tradition and, you know, uh, you know, all the, that stuff kind of is inherently conservative. Yeah. So I, I think that we want to stop, um, people with big ideas who want to make, you know, or even the Jacobin type thing, the new, uh, the uh, neoconservatives who want to, they have a vision for the world order and they want to take it to every country, you know, in the world. And so libertarianism is a negation of all that, but you're right. Like we have to, like the bus is speeding off the cliff and, you know, the agorists and the, the certain type of anarchist will say, Oh, well, you can't vote. You can't do anything. Where I'm like, yeah, I don't want to get on the bus, but I want to get on the bus, put on the brakes, and then, then you know, scrap the bus and take it apart for parts, you know. And may you know, power does corrupt. So maybe if we ever do uh, take take power, that that um, maybe we'll turn to the dark side too. But I'm I'm willing to give that a try, you know. Yeah, let's hope. Let's hope yeah. that that's. Um, one thing that really I, I heard this last night, and it's a little bit of a subject change, so sorry for that. But that's um, all right. I want to point it out as we're we're kind of we're kind of winding down a little bit. So I'd like to talk about the nature of power. Um, I've been thinking about it a lot lately, especially having um, listened to Pete Quinones for the last two years or whatever, where he's been sort of morphing from an agorist or you know from a normie normie libertarian to an agorist to back to Mises Caucus to um, um, now sort of a white rightward shift. Uh, and, but one thing that he's always, that he's always focused on is, um, Machiavellianism and especially James Burnham's, um, 
book the Machiavellians uh, yeah. and the concept of you know politics being about power. Um, so so that's so that's one thing that I've been thinking about a lot for the last few years. But um, last night I was listening to the the Human Action podcast uh, that the Mises Institute puts out. Um, Jeff Dyston, Bob Murphy now are are hosting that. And they had Seyfedi Namus, the guy that wrote the Bitcoin standard and now the fiat standard on. Um, and I guess Seyfedi Namus's like PhD dissertation was actually about energy economics. Uh, mm-hmm. And so he's got a really deep understanding of how energy and power works um, in the, in the, in the, you know, the, the, the like fuel industry and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Um but one thing he said, and I, I'm sure I learned this in junior physics 20 years ago, but I, I don't remember it, um, is that he goes, energy is me- measured in joules, power is measured in watts, and watts are calculated by energy over time. And that that formula, power equals energy over time, really stood out to me. Because right now, and especially here in Minnesota, we have, we have never had drama in our LP. Um, the Mises caucus has had a super majority on our board for the last year or two. And mm-hmm. um, nobody even knew it because we didn't, we didn't do it like as a takeover. It just happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but then here recently we at our convention um, actually organized and actually had, you know, slates and um, you know, really, really like unanimous. Our, our, our delegation to Reno was going to be a unanimous Mises caucus thing. Uh, the Nygards have kind of, um, left the caucus uh, under unfortunate circumstances. But um, uh, in any case, you know, we're going to be kind of a kind of the, the going forward, we're going to be a like Mises run libertarian affiliate, even though we kind of always have been, or mm-hmm. at least have been for the last couple of years. And the, the tactics that we used this year, and this, this should be taken as a lesson to, you know, states that aren't New Hampshire and Massachusetts and Pennsylvania, where there always has been and always will be a lot of drama. Um, we used we used the tactics that those ta- that those states use, where we you know had like a secret slate that you know um, nobody knew about, and we went in and we voted for these people, and it just felt to the sort of normies in the party or the you know the unaffiliated people in the party, um, like they were ganged up on, and mm. some people took it very personally. Uh, that they weren't elected to be delegates to Reno or they weren't elected as at larges. And from what I've been told, if we had just made our slates public, like, mm-hmm. you know, obviously everybody knows that the Mises caucus exists and we're going to be voting as a block. Um, but the idea that we came in and did it secretly kind of as a behind the scenes thing, um, it, it was described to me as they felt like they were the butt of a joke, but they weren't. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to be sensitive to that kind of thing. Um, and so anyway, I've been dealing with the fallout of that as a non-board member, but as a, as a leader in the Mises caucus. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as someone who's friends with the entire board, um, I've been dealing with that and I'm starting to run out of energy. I had dinner with our chair last night and I was like, man, and you know, I mean, God talk about running out of energy. That guy's been run ragged because it's, it feels like we're being sabotaged um, in a lot of ways. Uh, every everything that we say is taken out of context. Um, someone heard a rumor that we were going to be endorsing Republican candidates, uh, and so rather than rather than go to the chair, and that person is friends with the chair, like you know they have a they have a direct line. Um, rather than go to the chair and say, "Hey, what's up with this? I heard that you guys are going to be re- endorsing Republicans," they posted it in the Libertarian discussion group on Facebook, which is notoriously hostile towards 
uh, towards Mises and Mises boards and things like that. Right. Um, so anyway, all the, all the, all the drama doesn't need to happen right. and it can be avoided if it, it, maybe it does need to happen in certain States. I mean, you and I have both been to the PA conventions two years in a row yeah. and I don't, I don't think, I don't think, especially for some reason it's in the Northeast. That's kind of where it's localized as far as I can yeah. tell. Um, and maybe Texas, uh, but um, it can be avoided. And not only can the drama be avoided, but the exhaustion that yep. comes from using all of your all of your energy on avoiding drama, yeah, uh, or or I guess damage control, it no, can yeah. be can be avoided if you do it right. And so I'm anyway. So I'm running out of energy. It feels like our chair is running out of energy. It feels like a lot of people are running out of energy. And if power equals energy over time, mm -hmm. then this early a month after after convention, that does not bode well yeah. for the future of our sort of hegemony in the LP of Minnesota. Yeah. Um, so we're going to have to re-energize, I think, already. And we didn't need to need to do that. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. Um, like that's one thing that I actually kind of quit the LP for a little while. I got married yeah. in 2016 and then, uh, was kind of like content to kind of be out of things. And then Nick Sarwark's, um, sorry, Sarwoke, that's what I call him. <laughs> um, he, he, his, uh, you know, Mises Institute is the preferred think tank of actual Nazis got me re-energized and, and uh, I found my way to the Mises caucus. Uh, but it is, it is, it is exhausting. And what I've found uh, is that I, I haven't experienced that as a board member with the Mises caucus. I don't get involved. I, I, I don't watch every state and what's going on. Mm. Uh, but like our internal stuff goes very smoothly because we're all, we don't stab each other in the back and we, and we do talk things out and, but, politics can get like that. And I, and I think that we do need to do ha have a very conscious effort during Reno and after Reno to keep those doors open to, again, the, the, the reasonable people who are not yeah. affiliated or in other caucuses or whatever yep. to uh, show them that we're not, we don't want to kick everybody else out because as a, as some, as an organization that favors decentralization, like it's fine if you still want to approach the LP in the way that you want to. And if you want to run for governor of a state and stuff like that, you know, we're not saying no one else can do anything differently, but that our focus and our kind of how we operate should change. But I, I think you're right that there are some people who are going to leave and, and, and quit, uh, some of those people I would probably like to have stay some of them. It's probably good that they're going. Yeah. Uh, but, but I, I really do want to do that. And if anybody hears this and, you know, wants to open a dialogue with me or anybody else, like I, I'm not interested in running anybody off anybody who's, who's truthful has a decent understanding of what character is and is not just a, an obstructionist or a crazy person. Like we want them in the party and, and I hope, I, I know we've been talking about that as a board. Um, and I know in some states that it hasn't been secret and it hasn't been, you know, whatever. It's been kind of open and that people who have been in the party for a while have welcomed the involvement of Mises people who came in as that. So I hope that we reinforce the the, the things that have have tended to 
encourage that collaboration and, and uh, yeah, I don't want to see us uh, again at some point I envision, and I'm speaking for myself that the whole idea of a caucus within the LP is not as it either is not needed or it's like, it's back to being like on specific, like the Christian caucus or the pro-life caucus or the, uh, the weed, co- you know, whatever, like a single issue thing mm-hmm. that they can then go do do their decentralized stuff. Um, yeah, I'm fond of saying that we're we're we've got a transition from caucus mode to party mode now. Yep, like yep. now that all these states have been quote unquote taken over, which I, I you know I don't really like that language either. But uh, uh, but they they now they now have to learn how to lead a lead a party, how to run a governor candidate, how to yep. and that's you know that's that's a big task in Minnesota right now because we we came out of convention without a governor candidate. Um mm-hmm. largely and I'm I'm largely at fault for that. Um and you know I've I've publicly apologized to the to the the people who care about it in Minnesota, but you know I and I'm apologizing now too for you know I mean I I I didn't I didn't understand the ramifications for voting for Noda for governor, for instance. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a big deal. And we had, we had a really good candidate, uh, who has run statewide campaigns before he had a, and I didn't realize this, he had a, he had a donor base, he had a staff, all that stuff, um, ready to go. And what we wanted was for him to run for a lower office, like auditor or secretary of state or something like that. Um, of course, another mistake that we made, we didn't talk to him about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, he wasn't willing to do that because his donors and his staff and, you know, all the people that were backing him weren't willing to work on an auditor race. They wanted mm-hmm. to work on a, on a governor race. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, we made some missteps as a caucus in the state. Um, I know that that's, that that's me speaking as me. That's not me speaking as an organizer. Um, there are people who in our state who are either we did the best we can, and this is, uh, largely other people's faults. And that's, that, I mean, that's true too. A lot of the drama, um, is coming, is coming from other, other people who aren't Mises aligned. Um, and then there's also the school of thought that, that says that, no, we should really just take a scorched earth approach and, uh, completely actually take over everything. So, um, you know, I'm. I'm, I think I'm probably in the majority, but I'm also, I'm certainly not in the unanimity. Well, and I think you're right that, that again, like Pennsylvania was a special case. Um, yeah. You know, I, and sometimes you do have to be, uh, and I felt bad. Like I felt worse about how things went in, uh, what, 2021, uh, just because, you know, but you know, kind of what they did and and not letting people vote and all that stuff. Like it was so craven and they were, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to uh, delay and not credential people. I I don't know what they thought was going to happen in 2022. uh, That's (laughs) what I I remember. I might've been you, I was talking to or somebody else, but I was like, wait, so all the people who joined up this year, but not in time and who can't vote, they're going to be able to vote next year. And so they're just delaying the inevitable. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was like, there's really no, what's their end game here? And it is what it is. And I guess some of them have started some generic, you know, I don't know, Bill Weld type party in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, and, and unfortunately, sometimes you do have to write people off in the sense of, I can't, we can't deal with you because you're not honest. You're not mm. in this for the right reasons. And I, I hate that. I hate that. But I, I really do hope that, um, that we can do what we can. So like my encouragement to 
to people listening and to in, in the caucus. And I've said, this is, you know, if there are people in Reno, you bump into them in the elevator and unless they're, and, and even if I, I I'm in the elevator with like the worst hater, like I'm still going to try to be nice to them and they might slap my hand away. But like, to me, we can't spike the football. We have to be magnanimous and we have to try to, to build those lines of dialogue mm-hmm. with people and show. And that's the other thing is people, a lot of people who hear about us from our detractors and then look at us and then end up joining us. They're like, Oh, I thought they were alt right. And, and this and that. And once I kind of looked and, Oh, they're not. So, Oh, they're basically Ron Paulians. Okay. So I, I think that by being, and, and that's one thing I've said to to Mike from early on is that if we behave ethically and, and stick to what we're trying to do and don't get down in the mud that those reasonable people in the middle, not ideologically, but temperamentally or caucus wise, both inside and outside the party, they're going to see like, we're not, there's a certain contingent we're never going to win over. And, but everybody else who's looking, we can. So like a lot of times when you're debating somebody, I'm not really trying to convince you know, like say we're at a bar and there's six people and I'm debating somebody on taxation is theft. I know I'm not going to convince the Bernie Sanders guy, but the, but maybe two of the people standing here listening to this argument and, and we don't, and we don't attract those people and win them over by, by stooping to the level of our worst uh, uh, detractors, mm-hmm. I guess. So, well, and that, that's the, the other thing we have to realize that like, people who are watching from the outside really are watching from the outside. Like um, this is, I sat down with Charlie, our chair last night. Um, I think I mentioned earlier, we, we had dinner together last night. And um, one of the things that he told me was uh, like, you know, when you see that someone is accusing the LP of endorsing Republicans, you have to understand that, not everyone is going to believe that person. Like they're spreading mm-hmm. rumors and people don't, people don't necessarily always believe rumors. Um, it probably would have been sufficient if I had just responded on that Facebook post. Uh, and it was even a comment. It was a comment under a Dave Smith post. Um, you know, something like, why would you say that here instead of asking the chair? It's not true. And if mm-hmm. you had just come to the, if you had just come to the board, or, you know, someone, someone who knows these things, you would have known that it's not true. You yep. didn't need to broadcast it. But instead what I did was, you know, engage in a long, long discussion with this person, uh, on Facebook publicly. Um, I posted a message in our internal party. Um, not the Mises, not the Mises caucus, but the actual party discord, um, like debunking it, uh, but also using pretty harsh language because I was, I was angry. I'm still angry. Um, you know, I mean, emotions are high right now and that, that, that's included with me. Um, but I could have taken different tactics, used different Mm -hmm. tactics to do that. Um, just like we could have used different tactics pre-convention that probably would have prevented a lot of this stuff. So, uh, you know, lessons learned. Um, you know, when you make mistakes, you can either learn from them or sweep them under the rug and so. Um, we we'll just do a few more minutes, but I did want to get back to maybe some of the stuff that you're, uh, trying to do in your career and, you know, not only with your, some of the things you've talked about on your podcast and like, uh, I think we started off by talking that, you know, it's, uh, being 
I think we were, were talking about this, like being dependent on one job uh, or, or one source of income and, mm -hmm. and not, and wanting to kind of break free from that and be a little more independent. Not all of us can be, uh, you know, Tom Woods and, and have uh, his little mini empire going, but, <laughs> but I, I think that, and he's, but I'd like to, to. no, yeah. we'd like to. And like, uh, um, uh, he's been showing people the necessity of trying to, 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 to do this and has helped a lot of people. Um, so what, uh, what have you been doing in that area? Yeah. Okay. So I've been working with Jason Stapleton, whose name should be rehabilitated because he's awesome. Um, even if he does have lots of criticisms for us, mm -hmm. uh, I've been working with him for a while, um, on business mentorship. So I'm going to be doing as sort of a side gig. Uh, and actually I, th this, this is a, this is a broader thing too. Like if you're happy at your job, fine, stay at your job. Um, and it, you know, if you don't feel like you're going to get fired yeah. or whatever, um, then that's great. Do that. Uh, Jeff Deist, um, who I, I think that Jeff Deist is the best communicator of libertarian ideas. And I know like Natalie Daniel Eichen will tell me, you know, don't assume Jeff's a, a libertarian. Okay, fine. Uh, but Jeff is the best communicator of libertarian ideas in the world, I think. Um, and like he should be on the Dave Smith campaign and things like that. Uh, mm -hmm. But anyway, so, so someone asked, so someone was like encouraging um, a young member of the libertarian movement to, you know, attend all these, all these libertarian events this year. Oh yeah. You should go to pork fest. You should go to Mises U and you know, you should go to all these things. Um, and he was like, no, I'm not going to a single, a single libertarian event this year. I'm staying home and I'm, I'm working on my projects. And uh, someone, someone mentioned Jeff Dice. He said, uh, you know, at Jeff Dice, tell this guy that he should go to Mises U and Jeff responded, um, dude, go to church and go to the gym. Like those are yep. the two things that he should go to, uh, yep. not Mises U. And I really, I really think that, you know, working on your own projects, working on your own health, working on your own spiritual life. Um, you know, Jeff didn't tell him to start a business because again, he's, you know, he's working for a great, a great company. Um, but, uh, that, that to me has to be our top priority. Um, actually David Brady earlier commented that, you know, if power is up for, up for, up for grab, or if power is for sale, then we should just buy it. Um, that skips a couple of steps. And those steps are the ones that Jason Stapleton has been talking about. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, stop being poor, um, yep. build, build a business. If you want to have an empire, you got to build it. Um, and you know, he catches a lot of shit for saying stop being poor, but if you, if you seriously, like it is possible to stop being poor and yeah. you have to do it. Uh, so what, what was I talking about? Right. So I've been working with Jason. Um, we're, we're working on sort of a web development side hustle for me. Um, and parallel to that, uh, I'm going to be building a membership site, um, called Liberty creators for people who like also believe that creating your own Liberty is sort of the best way to go. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that's in the works. Um, I'm actually going to be working with Tom Woods on it, which is pretty cool. I'm not sure how I'm getting into these inner circles with <laughs> people like Jason and Tom, but it's, it's neat. Um, and I'm glad that I've got these, these guys to mentor me. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Um, and then mm -hmm. also, also Blackbird obviously is, uh, is my podcast, which you can find on all the podcatchers. Yeah. We'll have uh, uh, links to your stuff uh, that you just mentioned and cool. uh, a couple of the articles and stuff. And, uh, 
uh, on decentralizedrevolution.com slash 76. I'll have that up in a couple of days. Um, yeah, I, I really appreciate having you on and for your time. And, uh, so what, what, one last thing, like how, what are you going to be, what do you think Reno is, is going to be like, who are you looking forward to seeing? Um, not just like, Hey, the business side of things, but just, I, I know we've all been looking forward to this for yeah. at least a couple of years. So. Um, I will say that the 2020 Orlando convention was one of the best experiences of my life. Um, I'm really hoping the Mises caucus karaoke party happens again this year. Yeah. I, I haven't, I haven't heard whether it is or isn't. Um, if it doesn't, that's fine. I'm going to both of Dave Smith's events. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I am a bylaws nerd, so I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, the actual business part, which is kind of boring to a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, I've been, I've been selected to be on the floor team for Reno. So, yep. uh, I'll be behind the mic a lot, which is nice. Um, yep. cause I, I do like to, I do like to talk into a mic as you can tell. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I'm, you know, if, if Tom Woods and Scott Horton end up going, um, I'm looking forward to their breakfasts. If they end up being behind the scenes, I'm looking forward to chatting with them. Yep. Uh, and yeah. Oh, and Karen Ann, of course, I, I, I never pass up, pass up the opportunity to give her a hug, even though she, um, usually forgets my name and doesn't know who I am when I right. am just this random person walking up and hugging her. So, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it too. I'm actually fly. I, I lied to everybody last couple episodes. I've been saying that I was going to drive, but they finally lifted the mask mandate yeah. for good. And I'm so, yeah, I'm looking forward to flying without a mask on for the first time. In two yeah, years too. I haven't, nice. I haven't worn a mask for more than a, well, about a year now, except for I had uh, surgery. And so for that and the follow-up appointment to that, but like I've avoided so many things because I just won't do it. Um, and so to be on a plane again is going to be weird, uh, but it's going to be fun. Yeah. Orlando. Like I, I, I had so much fun there too. And I remember yeah. we were all still kind of a little worried about COVID to some degree. And I, and my wife was a little, Oh, be careful. And then I remember the first night I was there, we were in a hotel suite with about 200 people packed into like two rooms. Yep. That and was hilarious. And I was it's like, so well, I, I'm, either, I posted, I'm either getting it or not. And I still haven't got it. So I posted a picture of that on my Snapchat story and someone swiped up and was like, where are their masks? And I said, you know, <laughs> people who want to wear masks are wearing them. Others aren't, you know, we're kind of doing our own thing here. And he said, those people deserve to die, yeah. uh, which is, that was actually like, this is the same guy who told me that he had seen people dying in the streets because he lived in New York. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you didn't see that. That's a lie. Like right. you're either hallucinating or lying to me right now. Or, um, or you were outside a heroin. Uh, yeah, exactly. A shooting gallery. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, ironically, this guy also is HIV positive because he had unprotected anal sex. Like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, at least at least have some have some self-awareness enough self-awareness to realize that like, you know, you, you can't just say people deserve to die. Yeah. You sound like the religious right in the nineties saying that you deserve yeah. to die. Yeah. Like, come and on. There, there wasn't any documented cases of COVID coming out of Orlando, uh, except for a couple people who attended online, as far as mm -hmm. I know. Yeah. And <laughs> I know. Cause, Cause we were looking, we we're like, please, like, is everybody okay? And like, yeah. everybody was, <laughs> It's weird um, all those events in Florida that didn't have outbreak. You remember the super spreader bowl that uh, when yeah. the Super Bowl was was in Florida too? Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it's it, uh, COVID. Nothing. Yeah, well, I, I look forward to it, and hopefully, we'll get to have a drink or, or dinner yeah. or karaoke or, an, or something like an, that. Unfiltered so. cigarette. That was <laughs> oh, that 
I don't know who you're talking about, James. I don't mm. know who you're talking about. So sorry, sorry. That was uh, that was somebody else. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Douglas. Jeff Douglas provided me with an unfiltered. That, yeah, Jeff is horrible <laughs> on that. So, all right, man. I, I appreciate it. I'll send you the links to uh, the show notes page and all that. But uh, okay, cool. uh, We'll say goodbye and we'll talk to you later. Thanks, Aaron. See ya. All right, bye. There you have it. Thanks to James Jenman for joining me kind of on the spur of the moment after a long time of us going back and forth, uh, trying to get a, uh, a time to talk. He's a really great guy. He's one of the guys that I've uh, um, got to meet in real life after knowing him online for a while. Uh, we met up at the Pennsylvania convention the last couple of years, and uh, there's going to be a chance to meet all kinds of people out in Reno at the Libertarian National Convention over Memorial Day weekend, if you uh, want to go, uh, you better get your flight now. Uh, it's kind of expensive out there, partly due to the gas, but uh, the gas prices. But it's also um, uh, a holiday weekend, so there's that. But if you want to come out, uh, support us, uh, come to some of our events, see Dave Smith's comedy show on Thursday night, I think it is. Please do that. Uh, go to lp.org to get your convention package. Go to TakeHumanAction.com to get on the Mises Caucus mailing list to find out more about what we're doing uh, and to contribute if you'd like. Uh, thanks to Dave vs. Goliath for all the music you hear on Decentralized Revolution. That's my man Dave Casey. Check out his podcast. And uh, thanks to everyone who subscribes to that email list I've been mentioning and who gives to Mises Pack over at TakeHumanAction.com. And uh, everyone who shares, rates, reviews, and subscribes to Decentralized Revolution. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>